Heavenly Father, I ask that you would um, that you would speak through me, that you would use my words, that your word would be lifted up, that your son would be exalted. Father, that you would be pleased. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would um, that you would put a fire in our hearts, Lord, that you would um, give us that desire that only you can give us, that you would incline our hearts to your word, that you would incline our hearts to your commandments, that you would incline our hearts to follow you, Lord, that we we didn't love you first, you loved us first, you loved us first, and we love you today because you've loved us. So, Lord, I ask that you would that you would heal us where we need healing and that you would speak to us where we need to hear from you, that you would give me wisdom in, in how I speak and that you would give, um, give me a fair tone and give me um, a winsome attitude, Father. And I ask more than anything that the truth of your word would be heard and accepted and believed to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you guys like uh, statistics? Does anybody like statistics? All right, there's a few people. I really like statistics because statistics, they, uh, they reveal something about reality. It's very difficult to know uh, what's actually real in the world. And I, and I mean in the realm of opinion or in the realm of uh, especially something like missions where there's, there's facts kind of spread all over the place. And, and we need people to compile those things and to help us understand what they mean. So they, to me, they help reflect reality. If I want to know how much of the Great Commission do we have left, I need the statistician to help me with some of those things because they're able to compile all the questions and all the answers that have been, uh, have been asked and, and give us a little bit of clarity. And so I want to I start with a passage that we all know, um, or most of us know, from Matthew 28. And it was up here earlier. It's the Great Commission. Um, there's something that I want to pull out of there in particular. There, there's three big things, but there's a phrase that I want us to lock on to. So uh, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And in Greek, it's a plural, all nations. It means the Gentiles. Um, it is panta ta ethne. And you can hear the, the term ethne and it sounds like ethnic or it sounds like ethnos. It sounds, uh, it sounds like an ethnic term. It sounds like there's something more in it than just national borders. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, I just want to focus on the three things it says. It says, make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. And the who that's included in there is all nations uh, and I believe from, from the Greek, we know that it is all Gentile peoples. That's, that's a synonymous term, nations and Gentiles. And a lot of, in the, in the Greek Old Testament, there would be the word uh, nations, and it would be, in Hebrew, it would be the goyim. It would be the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Now, this is really, really important. There are promises uh, from God to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those, uh, those promises are to the Jewish people and, he says, to all of the nations. And so I so deeply appreciate uh, what, what Pastor was saying um, even just a moment ago of the, the passion for missions. I'm so grateful for this church. I've been, this is my fourth or fifth week here. 
And I think you're a member after four weeks. <laughs> yeah, a couple, okay. Uh, I've enjoyed it, every bit of it, um, because I see that that passion exists. I see that this scripture is, is behind PJ's preaching. I, I can hear it in, uh, it's, it, the, these are the words that are bet- be, uh, between all the lines. If you were to read between the lines of what a pastor is saying, you would see some of these scriptures, and this one is here. And so I feel right at home. I feel comfortable because this, is, this verse has changed my life uh, more than maybe any other verse in the Bible. That This is the great commission to, to the apostles and to all the believers after them, and it's a tremendous thing to get to be a part of. Um, uh, before I get started, you know jokes, when people who are preaching tell jokes, it's actually not for your sake. Uh, it's for their own sake. It's not for the people that are there. It's just so that they would maybe feel a little bit more comfortable. But I was thinking, all the pastoral figures that I've had in my life, I've gotten injured with. Uh, I've gotten injured with their kids. Uh, I've always found a way, whenever there's been a, you know, we grew up uh, with a pastor named Terry Baxter in Sioux City, and I got, you know, bruised up. Me and their youngest son would box on our trampoline and we'd do all sorts of stuff and I'd always be injured. And I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, me and Jimmy Thomas, when I was a little kid, when I was still playing basketball and Don Cork, the dentist, was my basketball coach, I think I remember going over to their house and riding dirt bikes. And I'm pretty sure I have a scar on my leg from the dirt bike (laughs) landing on me. And I was, you know, as I was recalling it, I was... uh, I was encouraged that a lot of my favorite people to listen to preach, I've gotten injured with their kids. Um, and so I feel, I feel at home uh, for numerous reasons. You guys have been really warm to us. But um, if we could go to the next slide, I just want to, um, I want to try and explain a couple really big category issues. I, I want us to be able to hear the word people group and to know what I'm talking about. So Uh, For evangelization purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. Can we go to the next one? Uh, Another way to say it would be, oh, one back. That's all right. All individuals in the group understand each other reasonably well and cultural relationship barriers aren't so high that the transmission of the gospel is seriously impeded. So what this means is that you could have one uh, ethnos, you could have one group, but they might be three religions, they might be five languages, they might be ten uh, differing tribes. And so you have this one ethnic group that turns into 20 groups. That you have uh, one missionary family goes to one of the languages, religions, and, and ethnicities, or languages, religions, and tribes, but there's, they, they don't communicate with each other. That if, if that tribe comes to believe there still needs to be an independent missionary movement among one of those other groups because the, the groups can't evangelize each other effectively. And so we want to see movements among people groups get started. We want to see Muslim, for, for my wife and for our family, we want to see Muslim background uh, believers evangelizing other Muslims. But there are complexities there. It doesn't always... Uh, it typically doesn't work that simply because of ethnic, religious, and linguistic differences. Are you guys tracking with me? All right, so we can go to the next slide. So there are, in total, of different ethnic, linguistic groups, 
3,978, and I have the plus sign there because uh, with a lot of these numbers, we, we have, you know, we see through a glass dimly. These are hard numbers to get, so we assume that there's more. Uh, unreached people groups across countries, and 6,562 unreached people groups by country. And what this means is uh, to use the Kurdish people, which is our target people group, as an example, uh, the Kurdish people are primarily in Turkey, Iran, Syria, and Iraq. So if they all speak the same language, which they don't, if they all believe the same, relig- you know, the same sect of Islam, which they don't, and if they uh, are all a part of the same tribe, which they aren't, there would be a minimum of four movements necessary to reach the Kurds, simply by nature of there being four national borders that, they, that have to be crossed. I, I can't get access into Iran to be a missionary currently. And I say I can't, and I mean that in a, a I can because Christ can make that happen. We at one point said we can't go to Iraq, and now we're going to Iraq. But on a totally natural perspective, uh, I cannot get into Iran to be a missionary. So we need somebody other than our family to go and reach the Kurds in Iran. We need somebody other than our family to go and reach the Kurds in Syria while we go and reach the Kurds in Iraq. I hope this is making sense, but that there's one people group, but it requires a large, large number. They're, they're, it's multiplied. And so that's the difference between these two numbers. There's one group of Kurds, and there's 30 groups of Kurds that need a missionary sent to them. Does this make it? You guys following me? All right, can we go to the next slide? Out of these, uh, I'm going to use the big number because that's the practical number. Uh, Out of these 6,562 people groups, there are 3,096 that are not being engaged by any Christians. That means that there's 3,000 groups that don't have a missionary, they don't have a Christian, and if they have a Christian, those Christians are not engaging them. They, They may be... Catholic believers, they may be what we call ethnic believers, which means that their grandparents and grandparents and grandparents way on back believed. They go to a church, but they don't have a living faith. It's just a cultural thing only. Uh, 3,096 of them that don't have a missionary. So that's our, that's our task. That's, that's what's not being chipped away at yet. That is Uh, When we look at the Kurds, we say they're not being engaged. We're going to go to these Kurds that are especially not being engaged. And our aim is that that would be 3,095 that are not being engaged by any Christians by the time that we're done. We hope that it would be a lot lower, obviously. But I just mean that's the way that we're looking at it. We're seeing this huge number, and we're saying, how do we lower that number? Can we go to the next slide? It might be a little bit hard to read, but there's good news. This is good news. Try and follow me. There are 44,000 Christian denominations in the world. There are 14 Christian denominations for every one of those unengaged people groups. There are 700 million evangelical Christians in the world. So that's not counting Catholics. It's only counting three of, I believe, six major blocks of Christianity. It's counting evangelicals only, 700 million which leaves 225,000 evangelical Christians for every one of those 3,000 unengaged people groups. There are 4.5 million Christian congregations in the world. That is 1,451 
congregations for every unengaged people group. And there are 4,900 Christian foreign mission sending agencies in the world, which means that there's one and a half agencies for every one of these unreached people groups. It's good. Are you guys tracking with me how huge those numbers are? There's one and a half agencies. So that means that an agency could say, we're adopting this people group. All of our resources, all of our energy, all of our time, all of our everything is going to this one group. And there's enough agencies that could knock out all of these groups a time and a half. It's phenomenal. Can we go to the next slide? There's bad news. We have less than 10,000 Christian missionaries laboring in the Muslim world, leaving the ratio of Muslims to Christians in the Muslim world 200,000 to 1. So my wife and I and and our kids go, and there's 200,000 Muslims to us. Feel the weight of that. Feel the imbalance of that. Those numbers that I just read, one and a half agencies for every unreached group, 700 million evangelical Christians in the world. There's only 10,000 of them in the Muslim world. There's only 10,000 of them, and that's from Indonesia across to North Africa. This is an enormous patch of territory. There's 1.6 billion Muslims in that area. Over a billion of them have no access to the gospel. ISIS, or Daesh, has recruited 20,000 foreign fighters since January of 2014. And my voice doesn't tremble because they have 20,000 people. It trembles that in a year and a half, they can double what we have in the Muslim world. We have to feel that. We have to... Doesn't that hurt? (laughs) It's a wound, and we need the Lord to heal it. Before you go to the next slide, let me check what it is so that I don't give anything away. Out of 700 million evangelical Christians, less than 10,000 serving in Muslim lands. Out of the 42 trillion that all Christians made last year, only 0.001% was given towards reaching unreached people groups. That's $1 out of every $100,000 that Christians made. I have never made $100,000 in a year. I, I applaud anybody in here who has the, the business skills and the, the skills required to make $100,000. And I believe that if there's people in this room who make more than $100,000 a year, that you have likely given more than $1 to unreached people groups. But this is, on average and for the most part, across denominations, across churches, Across America, $1 out of every $100,000 goes to these people who have no missionary, no Christians, sometimes no scriptures. And I think that is the biggest social injustice that the world has ever known. There's violations of every kind that you can imagine. Violations of, of human dignity, violations of human innocence, violations of of everything that you can imagine that goes on in the world, and bigger than all of them, bigger than 60, almost 60 million babies being aborted since 1973, bigger than the 28 million slaves that we have that are trafficked, whether sex trafficking or labor trafficking, bigger than that, all of it, is that the nations who were created by God don't worship Him as God. 
It's the biggest injustice that there is on the planet. And we have to reorient our thinking along those lines. I believe in social justice. We, we are actively, my wife and I, we are actively opposing abortion in America by, by advocacy, by what we say on the internet, by what we say to our friends, by how we raise our kids and how we talk about our kids that nobody who knows us would ever think that our kids are a burden. We try to be aware of where we buy clothes from and, and is it, is it a tr- contributing to the problem of human trafficking and, and labor slavery that goes on in the world. Those things are important. But what a tragedy. If those temporary ailments are relieved, if those temporary and light afflictions are relieved, and that when they pass from this life, this what PJ was holding up, this little tiny bit of life, and that life of horror ends, and they have an eternity of horror and bearing the wrath of God because there was not a substitute that they believed in to take the wrath for them. Let's go to the next slide. So I'm going to read it from my Bible. You guys can follow along with me up there. You guys can turn to Psalm 96. That that clock is tricking me. Okay. (laughs) All right. I love this psalm. This is this is a missionary psalm to me. It is to most people who read it. Um, It's kind of typical, but I want to I want to open it up because I believe this is one of the most important. This outlies some of the most important things that we could understand about Christian missions, and it will help us moving forward. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the world. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The hardest part about preparing this, I've preached on Psalm 96 before, and I've divided it differently uh, than I did the first time I preached on it. It is a difficult psalm to divide. It doesn't need to be divided. That's why it's difficult. Um, it's hard to pull out points from something that is so unified, that's such a unified whole. But I'm going to pull out four. The first is that we are to sing and then declare the glory and the works of God. 
So worship is central to us as a people. It says, sing to the Lord, and then it says, declare and tell. Worship is essential for us as a telling, evangelizing, disciple-making, teaching body of people. We tell of the things best that we worship the most. Most of us don't have any problem. My friend Jordan says it really nicely. He's one of our teammates. He's coming with us to Iraq. He says, I have no problem selling my coffee shop to other people. He says, I have no problem praising a cup of coffee, praising a good book, praising a sunset, and I'll tell people about it. If you looked at that sunset, it's gorgeous, and Iowa has some of the best sunsets of the world. Of the 25 countries that I've been to, Iowa has the best sunsets and sunrises of any place that I've ever seen. But we, we sing of things first, and we easily declare of them afterwards. If I love something, I praise it. I praise uh, my kids, my wife, and I can tell people about how cute they are, and I share pictures of them on Facebook and on Instagram because I want people to see how beautiful my girls are, how lovely my wife is, because I praise those things. I want you to see how essential praise and worship is to actually proclaiming His works and His glory. That if we don't worship Him, we don't truly appreciate Him in our hearts, the reality is, is that we will grow timid when the moment comes for us to tell of His works and to tell of His glories. I love this. Tell of His salvation from day to day. In Acts 17, 17, it says something of Paul that he was... Uh, he was preaching to those who knew God in the synagogues, and he was talking to those who worshipped God elsewhere. And then it says, and he was persuading all in the marketplace who happened to be there. It says every day he was persuading those in the marketplace who happened to be there. I love that because it's not just he went to the synagogue, he went to the Greek uh, places of worship, but then he said, well, when he was grocery shopping and when he was everything in the market, every day he was there uh, persuading people to come and follow Jesus. But prior to that, he had a life of worship. He had a life of praise. He had a life that says, I love this thing. And if you love something, when somebody says it's silly not to love it, you would say, you're out of your mind. Some of you guys own Android phones. Some of you guys own Apple phones. And the one that you have, you love the best. Your version of the Bible. You, you drive a Toyota instead of a Nissan or Honda. I just get, get what I'm saying here. If you love something, you proclaim it and you tell of it. You tell of its glory and of its works. And in our situation, we have the best of all possible good things. It says in Galatians that at the fullness of time, Christ was born of a virgin. At the fullness of time. This is what I believe. This isn't... I, I think I could prove this, perhaps from the scriptures. I'm not going to right now, and I don't know 100% that I, that I could. At the fullness of time, I believe that it was much like the flood in Noah's day. There was a period of time. God said to Noah, he said, preach. And he preached the righteousness of God. He called people to repent, and he said, there's a boat. You can come get on the boat and be saved. I believe it's that same kind of fullness of time. When that time was up, the rain started and it was too late. When, when Christ came, he, he came at the, the full moment, the full time that God's wrath was to be poured out on the world. Had Christ not gone to the cross, all of the world, 
every nation, every Jew, every Gentile, every person would be crucified on the cross of God's wrath, dead, destroyed, decimated. I believe that. I believe had Christ not come and died, the whole world would have sunk in God's wrath. But the beautiful thing is, while the world is deserving of judgment, and you and me and every person in this room deserves God's judgment, eternal, fair, perfect judgment, we've, we have, every single one of us in our secret mind and heart, and oftentimes with our deeds, have all proven that we deserve wrath. And we know it in the, in the heart of hearts and in our secret thoughts. But, this is the best but in all of history, Christ came and he, as a perfect Man, as, as God incarnate, substituted himself and took all of God's wrath on behalf of those who trust in him. This is phenomenal news that the Buddhist and the animist and the Hindu and the Muslim have a substitute. If they would know him, then they could trust in him. But as our brother read in Romans 10, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? Now they believe unless someone preaches to them. Feel the, the importance of our good news that we have. It's better than an iPhone. It's better than a good coffee shop. It's better than all the things that we so easily praise. And the grounds of singing and declaring. I love this. If you were to uh, break this passage up at you know verses 1 through 3 and then verses uh, 4 through 6, it says, For... Great is the Lord. The reason for the singing and the reason for the declaring, it says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Do we need more reasons to make disciples? What reasons are we looking for? We have them. He's my substitute. I'm not under God's wrath today. I'm under His mercy. He loves me the way He loves His own Son. Do I need more reasons? No. No. If I never heard another word from God in His written word or, or, or his, his voice, His still calm voice speaking to my heart, I would have what I needed. He has redeemed me. So for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is great. If He hadn't redeemed us, his greatness would not have been diminished in the slightest. He would be every bit as perfect and beautiful had he left us alone in our mess to live and perish and face his wrath. He would have not diminished in beauty, not even the smallest bit. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Those are the grounds. That's why we sing. That's why we worship is because God is God. He is beautiful and He is marvelous. And He's merciful. He's great and merciful. Showing mercy and steadfast love to those who obey Him. This is fantastic news. And I'll close these last two sections up quickly. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, is the next line in verse 7. This is why I would take my wife and our two beautiful daughters to northern Iraq. Because it doesn't say, ascribe to the Lord, O young man. It doesn't say, ascribe to the Lord, young woman. It doesn't say, ascribe, ascribe to the Lord, individual. But it says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. 
And the rest of this scripture is addressed to families of the peoples. I want to reach families. And that requires that my family is there with me reaching families. It requires it. It's not an option. They can't go to boarding school. They can't. They have to be with me. They have to be all together. That we are in this world. We are in this world with Muslim people. And we're saying, come to Jesus. Ascribe to the Lord everything that he's worth. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. And again, we have a are grounding for this. Why should the peoples of the earth ascribe God his due? Why should they give him the glory that he deserves? For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This means two things. For the the believer who trusts in him, we long for that day because we know all of us long for a world that would be healed and renovated. Every single one of us does. The greatest objections against God's existence is that how can he be good and he permit all the evil of the world? I have a very, very simple answer for it. He will not permit all the evil of the world for much longer. There's a time coming when all of it will be brought to an end, fully and finally. Only righteousness will dwell in the earth. There will be no more discordant nations, but all of them will be submitted and subservient to one king, King Jesus. That's our grounds. That's our hope. That's our grounds of calling to the families of the earth, saying, trust in him, trust in him, trust in him. And these verses, these ascribed verses that say ascribed so many times, they all are pointing, I believe, to discipleship. They're saying more than just praise, but they're saying give something of your life, bring sacrifices, lay your life down, before him. And we're calling to the families of the earth to live this way and to lay their lives down before Christ because he's coming to judge the world. And for those who believe this is a positive thing, but for those who do not have Christ as their substitute, for those who do not believe in him and his work, this is terrible news that this is coming. This is terrible news. If God comes and judges the world in equity and in faithfulness, what it means is that no sin is left unpunished. It's either either sins are punished in Christ or in the world. Either Christ bears my penalty or I bear my penalty. It's profoundly simple. And so we have 1.6 billion Muslims, almost 2 billion people in the world that have no access to the gospel, who are headed there right now, that this is bad news for them, that if God were to come and to judge them in equity and in faithfulness, which Psalm 96 says he will, then they would be damned. They would not be saved. They would not be rescued, but they would, they would have to pay. They have to take that wrath themselves. They, they wouldn't have the substitute standing in between for them. So I want to close with this. Every single person in this room is called to missions. And that takes three forms. It takes three forms. There's going, 
there's sending, and there's praying. These, this, is the threefold, this is the threefold cord. <laughs> Going doesn't happen without being sent and being prayed for. We need people to pray for. We don't get to pray without sending and without going. You know how you, you kind of have, have prayers where you pray for people and you're like, I'm going to do that too. Like I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to act this way. I'm going to pray for somebody to be provided for and then I'm going to do what I can to help provide for them. So this kind of prayer. We, we are praying and we're asking God, do everything that you can do out of all your great resources and then me and my widow's might and with my tiny resources, I'll do the very darndest I can, but I know it needs more. That's the kind of prayer that we're praying and, and sending. We need people to send. We need, we need all three of these things. That you don't get one without the other. And so I, I want to just put the picture in your mind of, of the person who's going down into the well and the person who's holding the rope. It's a rescue mission from start to finish, missions is. It's a rescue mission. We're going to people who don't have any light and we're saying we're showing light. We're giving light. We're, we're shining light where there is no light. But if the people up top let go of that rope, the guy's dead at the bottom of the well. It is so essential that we see this as a holistic thing. I've just given you a huge problem. If the numbers issue, we have a huge numbers problem. Only 10,000 in the Muslim world. So what we need is we need, we need more young men to think about this. We need more parents to tell their daughters and to tell their sons to say, consider this as an option for your life. Consider this. As parents, we would say, I will give my kids to the mission field. My dad told me, he said, you're doing exactly what I raised you to do. That's awesome. That's an awesome thing to hear. I respect my dad more than anybody else on the planet to hear it from him. It means a lot. So raise your kids this way to say, I have open hands. They can go, Lord. They're not mine. They're yours. And then Give of your worldly resources the best way that you can. I always say this, not to us even. I don't, I, of course we, we need help, all of these things, but our whole family aside, this is a worthy investment to invest in missionaries, to invest in missions, to invest in people who have no light to have light. I have no shame in asking for that. I have no shame in saying others need it too. Zero because it's necessary that we work in this together. Third John says that you partake in the going by giving. It's phenomenal. How do you stay involved? It's one of the main ways, and by prayer. Pray for your kids. Pray for your missionaries. Pray for the college students in Sioux City and the areas around. Pray for them to get gripped with a vision, of the Psalm 96 vision of, I'm going to worship, I'm going to declare because he's great, because he saved me, because he's great. This is the, that's a threefold chord in my mind. So we are absolutely not all called to go, and we're absolutely not all called to stay, but we are all called without debate, without any debate. We're all called to support the work of missions in one of those ways. And close us in prayer. Um, we, I, I want you guys to ask us as many questions as you want during potluck time. Um, be patient with us, and uh, if you have a question, I, I ask that you would wait, or wait that you would wait. If, if we're answering questions of somebody else, I ask that you would wait, and that we could talk with you and, and meet you, um, because we think it's phenomenally important, and that's the whole purpose that we're here. We want you guys to get to know us. I didn't do a real grand job of introducing myself at the beginning of preaching, but I, I would like you guys to ask questions of us, and we would love to get to meet you and talk to you and try and answer them at the best that we can. So I'll close this in prayer. And Okay.
Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Psalm 96 and the clarity that's in it, Father, that we, that we sing and declare because you're great, that we make disciples and we call families of the earth to you because you are coming. You are coming to judge the world in equity and faithfulness. And Lord, what that means for the different people that are here, Lord, only you know. Lord, I even ask now that, uh, that those who don't know you haven't put faith in you yet that they would today. Father, you know. I just, I, I, I thank you that you are all-knowing, that you are wise, Lord, and I trust you today with these words that you would use them. Father, I ask that you would bless this congregation, that you would bless this house of worship. Lord, I believe it is so pleasing in your sight um, on the testimony of your word, Father, that this house pleases you. And I ask, Lord, uh, that you would sustain that by your power and that you would make them uh, an even greater sending force, that you would make them that you would expand their territory, Father, to the ends of the earth, Father. We, we, we hear the command in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. We hear that, Father. And I ask for the ministry of this house to be, uh, to, to be expanded in that way, Lord. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You got it. As we wrap it up today. He's got mine.